0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Imagine with me for a moment a man who is on trial, a man on trial. The crime that he has committed is unimportant, but what we know about this man is that he is guilty and that he deserves a lifelong sentence. The guilty man is kept in his cell awaiting the verdict a place that he assumes he might as well get used to. Freedom is not in this man's future, even though he really regrets what he did and he wishes that it hadn't come to this. He hopes and he prays that this judge will be merciful, but he knows this judge to be a very strict and harsh judge. This judge upholds the law to a T. And no sooner... Then it seemed that the guilty man could no longer be left twisting in the wind. He hears a door open at the end of the hall. He would know his fate soon enough. And through the bars of his cell door, he sees a man with a set of keys. Not the judge, but the bailiff. The bailiff holds up one key, showing the guilty man. And he proceeds to insert the key into the locked door. You're free to go, says the bailiff, as if it's just any other day, business as usual. The guilty man becomes incredulous. On whose orders? The bailiff looks back at him to see if he's joking, or at the very least to see if he's in his right mind. He sees that the prisoner is serious. So he answers the question in hopes of making it make sense for the both of them. The bailiff says, I'm here on the judge's orders. He sent me to let you go. You're not guilty. The bailiff turns the key in the lock and goes to pry the door open, but is suddenly stopped. The prisoner had reached through the bars, grabbed the bailiff's hand, and turned the key back into the locked position. No, he says. I don't believe you. You're not the judge. The bailiff could only stare as the poor, confused man retreated into his cell and sat down in the corner. It's a silly story, right? It's ridiculous and disturbing. Who in their right mind would do such a thing? The bailiff's job was to come and to let the prisoner go, But the prisoner refused to believe him because he did not understand how authority works. Such is the case with us whenever we fail to understand how God delivers his gifts to us, particularly the gift of the forgiveness of sins. Last Wednesday, we heard about confession and absolution, sometimes called the third sacrament by Lutherans. And we heard about those contexts in which we as Christians confess our sins and hear God's forgiveness pronounced by another. So we do this in worship and we do this in private with a Christian friend or with a pastor. So as we finish out this part of the small catechism, for now, this part right here is going to deal with the mechanics of forgiveness. Why does it work this way? And why can we trust it? Why can we trust the absolution? Why should we trust the word of a pastor when he says, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus, I forgive you of all of your sins? On whose orders? So this teaching is called the office of the keys. And the scriptures have a few things to say about it. Our passage this evening is the one referenced in the small catechism. It's the one that we all read out loud, John chapter twenty verses 19 through 23, on the evening of Easter day, Jesus is freshly out of the tomb, right? The disciples, minus Judas, minus Thomas, are locked in a room. They're hiding there for fear of being implicated with Jesus against the Roman government. But Jesus, in a complete king move, comes and stands in their midst. And he says, peace be with you. Rather than use his divine power in his resurrected state to come and wreck shop, to come and bring down punishment and chastisement upon his friends that abandoned him, the Lord Jesus comes. And the first thing that he does for his disciples is he absolves them. He shows them the scars in his hands and the one in his side. And once they knew that it was Jesus, the text says that they were glad. They were glad when they saw the Lord. And then he said again, peace be with you as if they needed to hear it a second time because guess what? They did just like you and me, just like you and I always need to have the Lord's forgiveness in our ears at all times. And once he had their attention and they understood that he held no ill will towards them and that he truly forgave them, Jesus had a job for the disciples. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And the text says that he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, because Jesus can do that. We confess in the Nicene Creed that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And here's what he said. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So this was the task that Jesus gave to his disciples upon his resurrection. Take this and couple it with the great commission, right? Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and baptize, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm with you always to the end of the age. That was an important mission that Jesus gave his church. But this was another one that he gave upon his resurrection. Go and forgive sins. This is the resurrected Lord talking. Forgives sins by His authority. The reason that we call this function, the office of the keys, is because we have a couple of other passages in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. In, in Matthew chapter 16, upon Jesus conf- uh, not Jesus' confession, Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, Jesus tells Peter that he's blessed because flesh and blood has not revealed this to him, but he also gave to him the keys to the kingdom of heaven for binding and loosing sins. But then we see in chapter 18 that the keys are not just for Peter only, but for the whole Christian church, and they are used in the context of church discipline. All Christians have this privilege of announcing the forgiveness of Christ to the whole world in the vocations that God has given. If you're a mother, God has put that word of forgiveness into your mouth to speak to those people in your life. If you're a father, same thing. If you're a worker, same thing. If you're a retiree, same thing. He has put that word of forgiveness in your mouth. The keys belong to the church the keys belong to the church. But God has also set up his church, the congregation of the believers in such a way that there is order and so that we can have certainty in his gifts and receive them without doubting. This is what it's all about, to have certainty in God's promises. He wants us to know for a fact that our sins are forgiven. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus established the office of the pastor. Because the congregation has the keys, they prayerfully and collectively call and appoint a pastor to publicly exercise those keys on their behalf. That's what it means to call a pastor. It's, here's what it means. It's to say, this guy right here is going to be the one that speaks God's word and administers the sacraments and uses the keys. He's going to be the bailiff. He's going to be the one who uses those keys in an authoritative way on behalf of the judge. And boy, do we need him to use those keys a lot. That's what it means to call a pastor. So, that's a little bit about the role in the office of the pastor. We're going to have more time to talk about that, frankly, as we get ready for June, because in June, this church will prayerfully give me a call. But that's good enough for tonight. But what about those keys themselves? What about the keys? I think that to keep matters simple, it is helpful for us to think about two keys that Jesus gives his church. Everybody say, two keys. There's two keys. And you'll you'll maybe read Martin Luther, and Martin Luther talks about one key, but let, I'm just trying to keep it simple for us tonight. All right, there's two keys. Jesus talks about the authority to bind and to loose, to withhold forgiveness and to forgive sins. All right, so we have one key for binding, and one key for loosing. To be bound. To be bound to your sins means to remain in unrepentance, to be under the judgment of the law. Forgiveness is withheld from those who do not want it. How do you know that someone doesn't want forgiveness? Well, it's when they refuse to acknowledge that they've sinned and done what is evil in in God's sight. It's when they remain in their unrepentance and presume upon the riches of God's grace. It's when they say, my way or the highway, and God is just going to have to deal with it. That's called unrepentance. That's called hardness of heart. It's called wanting to remain under the law and to be judged by the law. It's not that we don't want to forgive such a person or declare them righteous through the gospel. It's that they preclude themselves from receiving the gift because they do not want it. They scoff at God's forgiveness. They look at the bailiff and they say, you can't do that. You're not the judge. And they remain in their cell. And sadly, whenever grievous sins are committed and there is unrepentance, these people must be excluded from the Christian congregation, according to Matthew 18. And that's a hard concept for us to grasp in our age of inclusion and acceptance. But the reason that this is done, the reason for that is for repentance. That's always the goal. Whenever it comes to something like that, The reason is repentance. That's even the point of the binding key. Whenever a sinner is bound to their sins, hopefully they will realize, I'm bound to my sins and I don't want to be bound to my sins anymore. Right? That's the hope. That's the hope, is that they'll want to be free and they'll want to repent. And that's why we've got the other key. So we've got that first key for binding. Binding. And then we've got this second key, the one that sets free, the one that looses and liberates. This is the key of the gospel. The forgiveness of sins spoken to penitent sinners who know that they need the righteousness of Christ and want to do better. That's the key that I get to use for you every single time we come together for worship. Anytime you want to meet with me and confess sins. Anytime that you need the gospel. When do you need the gospel? All the time. Hopefully you know that. We get to use this key all the time. Our catechism speaks to the certainty that we can have whenever the ministers of Christ deal with us by God's divine command. That whenever your pastor speaks that word of forgiveness, you receive it as if hearing it from God himself. Because this is how authority works. He has established the pastoral office. He has handed over the office of the keys so that the gospel may always be in your ears and that you would always have that objective word of forgiveness spoken to you. He wants us to be certain. He wants us to know that we are forgiven. And as soon as you walk out this door tonight, guess what you're going to doubt? You're going to doubt whether you're truly forgiven, aren't you? Yes, you are. Because you wrestle with the sinful flesh every single day. You're going to wrestle against the flesh whenever your head hits the pillow tonight because you're going, to be, you're going to think, how can God love me and how can he forgive a sinner like me? And that's why you need to be here. That's why you need to be a part of the church. That's why you need to be in God's word. So that he can continually speak that word of forgiveness to you. How good is God that he wants to deal with us like this? And how generous is Jesus that he hands over this responsibility to his church, this office of the keys to bind and to loose, to forgive repentant sinners, to call them to faith in the gospel. So as we close out our little study on this part of the catechism, I simply call you to be reasonable. Be reasonable and be in your right mind. When I speak that word of forgiveness to you, do not, like the guilty man in the story, say, you can't do that, you're not the judge. Do what any reasonable person would do and say, woohoo, and walk out of your cell and live in the freedom that you did nothing to earn but that was given to you, that was paid for in full by Jesus who suffered and died for your sins and was raised for your justification. And in his stead and by his command, I tell you that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.